Hey, my love. Welcome back to the Self-Care Keto Podcast. I am your self-care keto coach, Jess, and I'm bringing you a magical experience to help you release the weight from your body and soul. Today, we're going to talk about how to stop improving yourself. And what I am putting forth as the alternative (laughs) is to get into flow. So I'm definitely going to dig into what I mean by all of that. But first, I want to start off by saying that I'm sure a lot of people feel this way, but I feel like I used to feel like if something wasn't working in my life, it's because I needed to improve myself. (laughs) And I have spent the majority of my life trying to improve myself. If something wasn't working in my life, it essentially was my own fault. Meaning, you know, there was something that I could change myself then we wouldn't have this problem anymore. So I needed to be more something or I needed to be less something. I needed to be more loving, more patient, more disciplined, more grateful, more content, less selfish, less lazy, less analytical or over-analytical actually, I would call it, and less sensitive. And what I never really put together before, because in our culture in our society, we really, really praise self-improvement, right? Personal development. And, you know, I even struggle to find different terminology for this, but all of this just subtly implies that there's a deficit or a lack in you, that there is something wrong that needs to be corrected or improved upon, right? And so I didn't realize this, but all of that is really due to internalized shame, And I've been following some uh, new coaches who are actually psychedelic integration coaches. I really enjoy them. And I'm studying to be a psychedelic integration coach as well. Uh, Their names are Ta and Cole Witte. And they talk about the five aspects of shame. Shame is feeling like you are wrong, bad, broken, not enough, or too much. And I think that I really only... Uh, maybe thought of shame as feeling like you were bad. And I, I I tried to detach from that a long time ago. Like, no, I'm not bad. I, you know, I'm good. All parts of me are good, right? Um, and, and maybe not wrong. And maybe I had let go of that, you know? But broken, that one was a little harder for me, right? Like, definitely I felt like in so many ways I was broken because of things that had I had experienced in my life. And so if I was broken, I needed to be healed, right? Um and definitely feeling not enough and too much. Um, not like, and I maybe wouldn't think of myself as a whole being not enough or on a whole being too much, right? Like, oh, I'm just too much or I'm not enough. Like, no, but like some of the characteristics, like some of these things that I said before, like, yeah, I, I'm too much, um, you know, analytical. I'm too much <laughs> sensitive. Um, and I'm not enough loving. I'm not enough patient, right? Yeah, for sure. I would still be very, very attached to those things until very recently, um, which was my first psychedelic experience in November of last year, so 2022. And in that experience, I completely, (laughs) it's so hard to explain, but I completely connected with the part of me, the truest, most beautiful, deepest part of me, my capital S self, the God in me, right? The divine in me, um, capital T truth of who I am. And 
the idea that there could be any kind of deficit or lack in me, any kind of criticism or judgment towards myself, feeling any kind of separation from anyone or anything, within that experience, all felt so ridiculous. And it just felt like there's no such thing as lack. There's no such thing as deficit. There's no such thing as separation. There's no such thing as criticism or judgment. They felt completely preposterous in just being bathed in infinite love. And it was the most beautiful, blissful experience of my life and also the most spiritual experience of my life. I spent my whole life being a Christian in many forms and that meant different things to me at different times and held different uh, versions of beliefs about that at different times, right? But I've always believed in God and I've always felt that I had a relationship with God. And in this experience, I felt kind of the the different ways that we interact with God and the different ways that we believe about God as being um, infinite, you know, infinite God. In you, I live and move and have my being. Intimate God, having a relationship with kind of the person of God, that God loves me, knows me intimately, knows every hair on my head, rejoices in me, dances over me. And what felt most poignant for me um, probably was this idea of like innermost God. I am the light of the world, God in me. And that there was no separation. All three are God and all three were me with a, that being myself, my capital S self. And really in my upbringing of being a Christian, I probably had focused the most on this idea of um, God being an intimate God, um, God being a person with whom I had a relationship and I definitely, you know, believed in the infinite and the innermost. Like I believed that God or the Holy Spirit lived inside of me, right? That's what I was taught growing up. God, like Jesus lives in your heart, right? These were the things that I was taught growing up as a Christian. And also that God was infinite, you know, like omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, like all of these things. God was everywhere, couldn't be confined to, you know, a person, like God was not a person like me, but he still had personal qualities, like all of these things, right? But this was just the most powerful experience of God and myself that I had ever experienced. And it's so challenging to put into words. And when I try to explain it to people, I try to say like, I didn't think I was God, right? For for fear of sounding like a narcissist or like a crazy person when you say something like that, right? But there was just no separation, that it's like, where does God begin and I end? There was no such thing, no such thing. So coming off of this incredible experience, returning to normal life, <laughs> right? And conflict exists in everyday normal life. Certainly I felt, you know, weeks of just this lingering sense of feeling one with everything and and feeling so connected to nature and feeling so connected to everyone and everything and it's all love and you know yada yada but you know it did not take long in returning to normal life probably on day 2 of like yes conflict exists but when conflict comes up now i don't feel any shame i have not felt any shame since then and here we are it's march it's been 
December, January, February, March. So four months. And to not feel a single incidence of shame, I don't even know how to tell you how amazing, how amazed I am at that. But when I say feeling no incidences of shame, when conflict comes up, I do not feel any sense of feeling wrong, bad, broken, not enough, or too much. There's no personalization to it at all. And I like to talk with my clients about this. Um, The three Ps are like these three lies that we tend to believe are cognitive errors, cognitive distortions. And if you've been in therapy, maybe you've heard of some of these, but the first one is personalization. So, you know, when we're in a conflict with somebody, instead of making it about the behavior, we make it about their character. And so instead of saying, you know, when you did this thing, I felt this emotion and my request is this, right? (laughs) That would be fantastic if we could always, you know, phrase things like that in a conflict. But instead we say something like, you're a bleepity bleep bleep, you know, like calling names or not even calling names, but just labeling people as attributes, right? You're so selfish, you're so insensitive, you're so mean, you're so, you know, impatient, like whatever it is that we're saying to this other person, we're personalizing it. We're making it about their actual character and their personhood. And we do this to ourselves, right? When we we feel in a conflict with something in our lives, something feels like it's not working. Let's just say even specifically weight loss, right? So this isn't working. I'm so this, you know, I'm so lazy. I'm so undisciplined. I'm so broken. I'm so you know, not enough. I'm so damaged. Like whatever it happens to be that you believe about yourself, you're blaming yourself. And that is shaming yourself. That is internalized shame. Any kind of idea that because something's not working right now on your weight loss journey or in any area of your life, the idea that it is somehow because of you, that you are wrong, bad, broken, not enough or too much, this is shame. And then, you know, I mentioned the three Ps. So personalization is the first one. Um, Just, I know you're probably curious. What are the others? Pervasiveness, meaning like when one thing sucks, everything sucks, (laughs) right? We have a really hard time um, just kind of putting it into context, putting it into perspective. And instead of, you know, being like, yes, I got in in an argument with my spouse this morning, but not all of life sucks and not our our entire relationship doesn't suck or whatever it happens to be. Um, And permanence, is this idea that because things are this way right now, this is how they're always going to be, right? Um, when I became a mother, it felt so freaking hard. And I was postpartum and dealing with all of these hormones and everything. And you know, sometimes you can get these feelings of like, oh my God, <laughs> what did I get myself into? I did not know that motherhood was going to be like this. You know, like Not saying that you have buyer's remorse or anything, but just this feeling, this heaviness, this weight, but it's a belief of permanence. It's like, it's always going to be this way. I'm effed, you know, like this, this feeling of permanence. It's not always going to be this way. It's not, you know, um, that's just one example, but we feel this way in a lot of, a lot of ways. We feel like even the, the journey with weight loss, it's permanent. I'm always going to struggle in this way. Like I'm screwed, right? So now, you know, there's still conflict in my life. Conflict exists, but I don't feel any shame about it. Um, instead, I feel like, okay, if I'm feeling conflict in my life, it's not because of me. There's nothing to actually improve about myself. Like, it's because I'm not in the flow. 
And I'm going to do my best to try to articulate what I mean by that. Probably going to have to use a lot of metaphors, (laughs) use a lot of comparisons and give a lot of examples, but I'm prepared to do so. So if I find myself feeling time scarcity, that's a thing that kind of quickly returned to me after the experience of feeling like there's no such thing as time. Time is bullshit. You know, I'm infinite. We're all infinite, yada, yada. Like, and that felt like so real and so true to me. And then kind of returning to normal everyday life, it took several weeks for it to return. In fact, I remember coming back and just like hearing my husband kind of rush my daughter along to like get in the bath or, you know, it's time to get ready for school or whatever. And like this feeling of rushing. And I was like, this is weird. Like what, what is happening here? (laughs) And then it it was almost irritating to me. Like, why is he doing that to her? And I realized he's just parroting me, parroting, meaning like mimicking me. Like I was the one that installed these timelines and routines in my own home. And then I came back to it and it felt so jarring because it was all rooted in time scarcity. Like there's not enough time. Everything's always in a hurry. Um, There's not going to be enough time for me to get my needs met unless I hurry along everybody else so that I can get to me being able to do what I want to do with my time. And that's kind of the time scarcity myth that I really struggle with. And I have to constantly try to manage myself and get back into flow when I realize that I'm feeling that way. But, you know, if I'm feeling time scarcity, it's not because I'm foolish to have returned to that line of thinking. It's not because I'm not wise enough or not spiritual enough or not connected enough or whatever. Um, But it's because I'm not in the flow. And if I find myself yelling at my daughter, it's not because I'm not patient enough, but it's because I'm not in flow. And when I say I'm not in flow, what I mean is I am arguing with reality. I'm arguing with what is, feeling like it should be something other than what it is. And whenever that happens, that causes suffering. So the alternative is getting into the flow, meaning not not arguing with what is, but accepting what is and going with the flow of how God in God's infinite form and intimate form and innermost form is directing the flow of my life through communicating with me, through my environment, through my emotions, and through my body. So all of these are mirrors for me. All of these are signals for me of whether I'm in flow or out of flow, whether I am co-creating together with capital R reality or whether I am arguing with reality. So it's feeling like either the wind is at your face or the wind is at your back. Like you're paddling upstream or you are floating downstream. So one thing that I want to clarify before we go further is that when I say getting into flow, I don't mean this common phrase that we say of going with the flow. Because I think when we say going with the flow, like, oh, I'm not high maintenance. I just go with the flow, whatever everybody else wants, you know, like kind of people pleasing, almost like not actually having any real desires of your own that differentiate from what everybody else wants. And so that's not what I mean whatsoever. I don't mean getting in the flow of what everyone else wants. I actually mean getting in the flow of what your self wants, your capital S self, your highest self, if that makes sense to you, your spirit, your soul, um, your divinity, God in you, the Holy Spirit in you, if that's the terminology that makes the most sense to you. But it's getting in the flow of what your true self really wants. 
And I want to mention episode 124 that was a, a little bit back, but it's called Loving All Your Parts, where I kind of talk about the difference between your ego and your capital S self. And this is based on internal family systems therapy. Um, in other words, it's called sometimes called parts work. Um, but it's learning to love all the different parts of yourself that we do have this aspect of ourselves that is like our inner knowing, our heart of hearts, right? Like these are t- types of words that we, our intuition, um, these are things that we say different, different labels for, but we're all kind of saying the same thing. And it's your, you know, he just kind of calls it yourself with a capital S and how you know when you're operating in self um, versus how you know when you're operating in your ego. So that's a really great primer to listen to before this episode if, if any of this is feeling confusing. So flow doesn't mean, when I say arguing with, stop arguing with reality, I don't mean that you accept things as they are and that you stay put, you stay stuck, you stay stagnant. That's not what flow is. Flow is actually always moving, constantly moving. Um, but what I mean is it's, it's accepting the guidance of flow in your life. What direction is the flow taking you in now? Because it's constantly changing. It's like a, a rushing river and it's got lots of bends and turns, and, but it's constantly flowing. And what worked before might not work now. And that can feel infuriating, <laughs> especially on your weight loss journey. I, oh my gosh, I can't even tell you how many times people have told me like, I did keto a year ago. I did keto five years ago and it was fantastic. It was so easy. I lost a bunch of weight, just basically, you know, following, just counting carbs or, you know, eating what, what people label as dirty keto or lazy keto or whatever. Not that I like those terms, but essentially like that it, I could just eat all these keto products and didn't really have to count anything. And I just lost a bunch of weight and I felt so great and so fantastic. And now, and then I stopped and now, you know, here I am. Well, now I'm in my forties or now I'm, you know, um, postmenopausal or now, you know, after I had kids or just whatever happens to be. And it's, it's not working the way that it was before. And I don't understand. And it's so frustrating, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what worked before might not work now, but where is flow directing you now? (laughs) And when I say getting into the flow of what yourself wants, I say self with a capital S, it's not getting into the flow of what your ego wants because often we do what our ego wants and we call it freedom, but the result is feeling like shit. So you are not in the flow if you're feeling like shit. (laughs) Never, ever, ever, right? And so, you know, when it comes to weight loss and so sometimes we're like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna practice intuitive eating um, and I'm just gonna eat whatever happens to sound good and, uh, you know, that, that might work for some people, but it might not be working for you. And I'm not saying, you know, don't do that because it doesn't work for anybody, but I am saying your environment and your body and your emotions are constantly giving you feedback about whether you're in flow or whether you're not, right? And flow feels like freedom. And you could say, oh yeah, I'm in freedom. I eat whatever I want whenever I want to. But do you feel like shit? Because that's not freedom, right? So your body and your signals are, your body and your emotions are your signals of being in flow or not. They're actually speaking on behalf of uh, infinite God, intimate God, innermost God, right? You're, they're speaking on behalf of your highest self, showing you what's working and what's not. And apart from your body and your emotions, you're, you're also constantly getting feedback from your environment about what's working and what's not. So the people and the circumstances of your environment are a mirror for you, showing you out of love, 
the universe conspiring together on your behalf, using the people in your life and the circumstances in your life, showing you out of love what's working and what's not. So I also want to say here that it's true that your emotions can flow out of your thoughts and your thoughts out of your beliefs. And if you have a harmful belief, then you might be feeling shitty emotions because you actually have a shitty belief. And so this is very nuanced for a podcast, right? Um, But sometimes we're feeling shitty because we're looking at everything through the shit-colored glasses of our shitty beliefs. But if you can actually get down to identifying the level of the belief itself that is causing those emotions, and then identify how holding that belief actually feels in your body and your emotions, then you can know if that belief is being in flow or if it's actually arguing with reality. So I'll give an example, um, and this is another thing that I'm going to be talking about on a future episode of the podcast, but one um, tool that my therapist has used with me is called schema therapy. And so essentially schema is another word for your beliefs. So the constructs that you um, uphold to be true, the the lenses through which you see the world, usually based on your childhood conditioning. And so one of my highest schemas was emotional deprivation. And so what does this mean? This essentially means like, I am emotionally deprived. I have not gotten my emotional needs met as a child, you know, at pivotal times in my life. And therefore the belief is that I haven't gotten what I needed. So I am in lack, I am in deficit. And also it's a belief that I, I never will be emotionally fulfilled. Like that I will always, this idea of permanence, right? that I will always be emotionally deprived. That because at that pivotal time in my childhood, I didn't feel like truly witnessed, truly loved and appreciated for all that I was. I didn't feel understood. I didn't feel connected. I felt kind of like a black sheep of the family. I felt like, you know, the the one that was blamed for everything, the scapegoat, like I just felt like a problem, right? And so I felt like nobody understood me and nobody ever would, right? And so that belief kind of like lingers, right? And so here then I might have this like shitty belief of emotional deprivation and then everything that's coming to me through my environment, like I'm not seeing it for for what it actually is. I'm seeing it as... um as I am. <laughs> you, you don't see things as they are, you see things as you are, right? So if I have this belief that I'm emotionally deprived, then all of the signals in my environment are coming back to me as, you know, he doesn't really understand me. She doesn't really understand me. My friends don't really understand me. No one's ever going to really understand me. And so when somebody is just like listening to me and maybe not saying exactly what I want them to say, or their body language isn't exactly what I would love it to be, I'm interpreting that as, oh, they don't understand me. They're rejecting me. They're judging me. They're, you know, they don't actually want to be close to me. I'm too much for them or whatever it happens to be. And so, if, but if I can get down to the level of the belief, right? So I can be like, oh, the belief is that because I never got what I needed, I am actually never going to, that I'm always going to be emotionally deprived. And now if I sit with that belief and then how does that feel in my body? And how does that feel in my emotions? then I can know if that belief is being in flow or if that belief is arguing with reality. And that belief is arguing with reality. There are so many people who love me and see me exactly for who I am and appreciate me and adore me, right? (laughs) And yet, you know, I can block that out because the belief is like my brain's filter, right? So that's what I mean by kind of this other layer of nuance here 
which is, yes, your emotions are guideposts for you. They're signals for you. And yes, your circumstances are signals for you. But sometimes we're actually um, not receiving them for the pure level of what they are. We're actually just seeing everything through the lens of our shitty beliefs. Again, it's really nuanced. It's hard. <laughs> this, remember, this is a podcast. This is not mental health advice. This is not actually me coaching you in this moment because I don't know everything there is to know about your life. Um, and a lot of times when I'm when I'm working with my clients, I rely on my intuition. I, I'm looking at their body language. I'm hearing the intonation of their voice when they're explaining something to me. And sometimes, you know, just having somebody hold that space for you, they can mirror back to you whether it seems like you are actually in flow or whether it seems like you're actually arguing with reality. But to give some more examples of like what flow is like versus what arguing with reality is like. So flow feels like love, which is the opposite of fear, right? Um, Freedom, which again, remember freedom that doesn't involve feeling like shit because that's not real freedom. Peace. And I want to say here this beautiful quote from Nelson Mandela that says, peace is not the absence of conflict but the creation of an environment where we can all flourish. So good. So good. And another thing that I want to mention about peace is that a lot of times peace, you know, we think of it as peace, um, peacekeeping. In other words, like don't get into conflict because uh, conflict is the opposite of peace. No, it's not. Peacemaking moves through conflict, uses conflict as, as fuel to create that environment where we can all flourish. That's peacemaking. So flow feels like love, freedom, peacemaking, and surrendering to what you truly want in your heart of hearts or your inner knowing. It looks like open hands, flexibility, curiosity, and a commitment to your desired feelings without attachment to the method of how you get there. And arguing with reality feels like fear, It feels like constraint, misery, frustration, bitterness, resentment, feeling burdened by all the shoulds and the obligations, feeling like it's unfair, it's unjust, grasping, striving, pushing, rigidity, and having to have it your way, aka the right way. (laughs) So now I'd like to tell some stories to kind of like clarify about when it's flow um, versus when it's arguing with reality. So a lot of times I think we we appreciate story and we can like see see the nuance of things. Because remember, flow is not always just, um, okay, my environment is giving me resistance. That means I'm not in flow. No, no, no. We, we have to balance that out also with your body and your emotions. Okay, so this first one was, um, it's a story about, when I was working in my old job before I left this old job to coach full-time, uh, my old job was working in higher education administration, uh, accounts receivable, third-party billing. Uh, I did this for nine years. I started off as entry level and I worked my way all the way up to um, an associate director level, managing like a team of 25 people. And I loved my job. I was in my zone of excellence, meaning I was awesome at it and I really enjoyed doing it, like definitely was operating in my gifts. But what I had was starting to learn at this point was that my zone of genius, in other words, doing the thing that only I could do 
and doing the thing that lit me up so much that I would do it for free, doing the thing that made me feel alive and feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? That's that's the terminology that I would have used at least at this time in my life. Um, my zone of genius was coaching, right? And and so here I was and I'm like, but I, I'm coaching uh, in my work, right? Uh, I was just starting out um, my what I called a side hustle at the time of my coaching practice back in 2017. And so in my old job, um, I, I am such a hard worker. Like I am a go above and beyond person and I love to improve things. Like I, and so I was improving things left and right. I was going above and beyond really making a fantastic, you know, designing efficient systems, saving my company money, um, making it such a healthy work environment because people were feeling loved and appreciated and seen and witnessed and all these things. So here I am. And so I'm at my old job and I'm asking for a raise, but I'm being told that it wasn't possible, that it wasn't in the budget right, for me to get this raise. And so here's my environment giving me resistance to what I felt like my higher self wanted. And I felt like I was being directed in the flow of receiving more money for what I was doing, receiving more abundance that matched the energy of what I was putting in, I wanted that energy returned back to me, <laughs> right? And so that was my desire. And it wasn't just in my ego. Um, and so, you know, you might take it and be like, okay, well, your environment's giving you resistance. So just get in flow and, you know, be more content, be more grateful, right? No, that would be kind of, you know, gaslighting yourself. That would be invalidating yourself, right? And we do that to ourselves all the time. Oh, there must be something wrong with me. I'm not grateful enough. You know, like maybe I shouldn't be working this hard even. Maybe I'll just scale back and I'll show them, you know, what it looks like to actually get, you know, this amount of money's worth of work from me or whatever. Like a lot of times this is how we respond, but that's that's arguing with reality. That's not being in flow. And so even though my environment was giving me resistance, what were my emotions and what were my what was my body showing me? So like my emotions were showing me, well, if I stay in this without getting this raise, then I'm going to feel resentful, right? And I already was kind of feeling resentful. So my intuition told me and my past experiences showed me that actually it was possible to get this raise that I wanted. I, you know, remember I was working in administration. I knew people in HR. Like I know that, and I was in an institution of higher learning that was a private school. So I knew that, you know, it wasn't like there was so much red tape that they had to like submit it to the state and, you know, all this stuff. Basically they could do what they wanted if they wanted to. (laughs) And so I knew that it was possible. So I kept following that flow and I kept asking for it and I manifested it, even though it seemed like there was resistance there. So that's one story about just kind of, you know, flow doesn't always mean um, that you just, it doesn't mean you just accept everything exactly as it is, right? It means checking in with your inner knowing and surrendering to the flow of what your highest self really wants. So years later, I was getting to the point where I knew it was time to leave my job because flow was leading me to where I felt most alive, coaching full-time. That's where I was actually feeling love, freedom, and peace. And I did still feel like I wasn't being paid enough. And, uh, you know, I had emotions of exhaustion and resentment because I kept up leveling, right? Um, And I was growing the department even more, had even more people reporting to me, yada, yada, yada. But also, I felt like I was being paid so well that, and this is fear talking, I'm being paid so well, who am I to leave a steady income and a job that I actually do love? It's not like I'm miserable here. Like I'm good at what I do. I'm making a difference in so many people's lives. I still am coaching people here through this work, you know, and, you know, all these ways that we kind of fear 
the very protective part of us, very good part of us is speaking up and, you know, giving us all of the rationalizations, right? But I knew that flow was leading me to a place where I could feel most alive, you know, who, and feeling like it, it was almost just this, this lie of unworthiness. Well, who am I to like enjoy the shit out of my life? <laughs> I to actually be successful in my zone of genius, right? Nobody gets to do that. That's, that's unrealistic, you know, like withholding it from myself, right? So, but I knew where flow was leading me. And when I did give my notice, it's funny how things work, but then they asked what they could do to have me stay, right? So here I was like for years wanting more money, being told it wasn't possible, it wasn't in the budget, but then all of a sudden when it's time to leave, you know, then there, there's more money to be given, right? But at that point, no amount of money can fulfill you when flow is redirecting you. So again, just because the environment was asking me to stay, I was getting environmental resistance from what I was saying I, where I felt like God was leading me, flow was leading me. Just because the environment was asking me to stay doesn't mean that that's where flow was. So another story is that we always knew that Elsie was going to be ready to start kindergarten early. So her birthday is on October 20th, and the state law is like that they have to turn five before September 2nd, I believe, maybe September 1st. Um, I'm sure your state has some kind of similar rule. And so, but I just always knew, at least from the time that Elsie was like two years old, that she was going to be ready to start kindergarten early and that I was not going to wait until she was six years old or about to turn six years old for her to be starting kindergarten. So she's six now um, and she's about to turn seven in October. But so she's six now and she's in first grade and that's exactly where she should be. She was so ready. And she was always like performing um, at the top of her class, you know, even in like pre-K three and pre-K four, like she learned to read so quickly. Like she was just ready. And I just knew um, that it wasn't going to be for her to just kind of follow this state law <laughs> of, you know, that she had to basically be almost six by the time she could start public kindergarten. So is it arguing with reality to try to find a way to make it happen? No, it wasn't. So I, there's always, you know, private school options. And so that's what we did um, so that we could eventually, you know, we put her in private school for, you know, pre-K and then kept her in private school for kindergarten, even though um, we knew that basically she was going to be the youngest kid in her class for the rest of her school years. And I even had some people trying to convince me of like, oh, do you really always want her to be the youngest kid in her class? And, you know, what about peer pressure? And what about like, oh, all her friends are going to be driving before her? And, you know, all of these like far zoomed out kind of fear-based things, you know? Um, and But I always just knew because follow the peace. What is peace? Peace is creating an environment where we can all flourish. And I just knew that she needed to flourish. And my husband completely agreed with me. And so, but you could maybe look at it like, okay, well, my environment is giving me resistance. The state law says this. And so is it arguing with reality to try to find a way to make it happen? No, actually it would be arguing with reality to try to like squash that within yourself, squash your inner knowing. Like, so take it back to your body and your emotions and love and freedom and peace in other words, flourishing, and flow was leading us to find a way for her to flourish, and we did. Another story, a couple. this was a couple of years ago, but my husband and I started doing marriage counseling. And after about a few months, my husband said that it wasn't working for him. And he explained it, you know, he wasn't just, you know, being obstinate or whatever, but basically he was explaining like, hey, like my nervous system is like going on like, not even 10, like 20 for like days before 
every single one of these therapy sessions, he basically felt like it was like a supervised fight. (laughs) He wasn't, he hated it. Like, and he, he basically was like, you know, I'm not saying that I want to give up on the relationship, but I am saying I don't want to do this anymore. And I could have held on to what I thought that it should be, or I could get into the flow. And so we had a really good therapist and, you know, he basically just told her how he was feeling in one of our sessions. And she was so wonderful because she emphasized that, you know, to succeed in the relationship, we did not have to stay in counseling. And at that time I was kind of like arguing with reality. I was like grasping onto that because really what I wanted was my highest self wanted peace and healing, but I had to unattach from the method that I thought it would come by. So Remember that, you know, a lot of times your environment is a mirror for you. And in this one, my environment was being more of a mirror for me than my own emotions and my own body was because I was feeling like I wanted to stay in therapy. And I was feeling like kind of discouraged, like, well, if it's not this, then what the hell? Like, are we just screwed? And so (laughs) I'm so grateful for the therapist because she emphasized that you can resource your marriage through many means. And she talked about some online courses and she talked about some books. um, And she talked about just continuing to do our own individual therapy and reevaluating because, and she just mentioned like kind of dissolving that permanence idea. Like just because you're not feeling like therapy is right right now, it doesn't mean that you might not feel much better in six months after continuing to resource in these other ways. So if you guys have listened to my podcast about um, motivation magic, uh, I recommend you go back and listen to that because I talk about this uh, quiz that really helped me to understand myself and my clients a lot more. It's called the four tendencies and it's about what motivates you, right? And are you externally motivated or internally motivated or both or neither? And so um, I am an upholder, meaning I am motivated by my own internal expectations as well as external expectations. And a lot of times upholders are very much about doing the right thing. (laughs) And they're very good at powering through. They're very disciplined, right? Um, But sometimes this can be to a fault, right? Where, Where you're actually neglecting your own inner knowing what you truly want, what your highest self truly wants. And it's just about Um, doing, accomplishing, being productive, and like priding yourself on the ability to power through, right? My husband, on the other hand, is a rebel. So he is not motivated by either internal expectations or external expectations. And so, but there is, of course, there are ways to motivate even rebels, but he basically just like doesn't give a shit about convention or about what is the right thing to do. And he is very in touch with, um, what he really wants a lot of times. And he speaks it freely. (laughs) It causes a lot of conflict in between my ego, right? My ego is the part of me that it's like, do the right thing, you know, like, um, but so he's often a mirror for me though, of what my highest self does want. So trying to hear him, you know, he's saying, he's not saying, Hey, I want to give up on the relationship, but he's saying, I freaking hate therapy. Like I, he, he was doing his own personal therapy, but he was hating marriage counseling. And so he was listening to his body, he was listening to his emotions, right? And I, I'm i not saying I wasn't, but I, I wasn't being more attached to what my highest self wanted. I was being more attached to the method. And so once again, my highest self wanted peace too. I wanted peace and I wanted healing. Um, and it was a journey for me, but I, that to me was a mirror of, okay, your environment right now is giving you a mirror of what's working and what's not. This clearly isn't working. And peace, remember, is an environment of flourishing for everyone. And so a lot of times I say here on the podcast, like I use this talking about yourself. 
I say there's no such thing as one-way liberation. If it liberates you, it's going to liberate the other people in your life as well. If you changing the way that you eat is going to help you, it's also going to liberate other people, oftentimes through being a model for other people, right? But the truth applies in the opposite direction, right? So whatever was going to liberate my husband in this scenario was also going to liberate me. And I didn't want to believe that, but that did really turn out to be true because it was a lot better for our relationship to find other ways to resource in ways that would help both of our bodies and both of our emotions. And that really ended up working out, but I had to get into the flow. Some more examples are just probably in the last few years, like ending some friendships. Um, But I decided to keep relationships with my family, but shifted um, by not demanding that it look different than what it really is, right? And either would be okay. I could have, in some of those friendships, I could have maybe just said, well, I don't need it to look any different than what it is. Um, And even in the relationships with the family, I could have ended those relationships. So either would be okay. There is no right and wrong, but it is unloving to ask people to perform beyond their limitations, right? That would actually be arguing with reality. So I had some friendships where I had evolved so much and either they hadn't or they were maybe evolving in their own way that was just a different direction than me. And I felt like flow was leading me to release some of those friendships or to really scale back on the amount of time that I was spending with some of those people. And for a season, actually, I really, really scaled back on some relationships with family. But once I had kind of found more of my own healing, especially through um, my psychedelic journey, um, I started to see things differently. And so remember, there's no such thing as the permanence either, right? So sometimes the flow might be directing you to scale back on a certain relationship. And then when you do get better resourced within yourself, like you shift, you change, you grow, maybe you return to that. Maybe you don't, right? But what does yourself with a capital S want? How is flow directing you? Another really simple one is that a lot of times when I lose my patience with my daughter (laughs) and find myself yelling, it's during our nighttime routine. So dinner, you know, bath or shower, bedtime, right? This, this whole nighttime routine after school. And so I would find myself hurrying her along, uh, losing my patience with her not getting into the shower. Like I have to tell her 50 times to get into the shower (laughs) or it feels like that. And so in my ego, um, I realized that I didn't want her to grow up and I didn't want her to go to bed later. And I didn't want me to have to stay up later. That's that time scarcity thing too, right? But what does my highest self want? My highest self wants an environment of flourishing for all of us. And I realized that her dragging her feet on this whole routine was that she was asking for some more time for herself in her evenings, right? She wanted to go slower. She wanted to have more time between dinner and bath to just take some time in her room to play. Um, And she wanted to take a longer shower or a longer bath and just kind of like sing in there and play pretend in there and, you know, yada, yada. And that did mean that, you know, I had to stop arguing with reality, not demanding that it looks different than what is actually happening. And I had to release my attachment to, you know, it should be this way. She should go to bed at this time or whatever it happens to be. So there's another example of, you know, my environment giving me feedback (laughs) (laughs) my emotions weren't necessarily catching up, except, you know, I had to come back to my highest self and like, what do I want? I want love. I want freedom. I can't want freedom for myself and not freedom for her. If she's communicating to me in her way that she wants some more freedom, 
you know, I don't want to force her to go against what her body is saying to her, right? In terms of what time to go to bed. So again, you know, this can be very nuanced and it's very personal and it's not for anyone else to tell you what it is, but check in with yourself. What are you feeling like? Are you feeling like flow, love, peace, freedom, surrendering to what you truly want, open hands, flexibility, curiosity, commitment to the desired feelings without attachment to the method? Or are you feeling arguing with reality, which feels like misery, frustration, bitterness, resentment, burdened by the shoulds and obligations, feeling like it's unfair, it's unjust, grasping, striving, pushing, being rigid, having to have it your way, aka the right way, right? And so in that situation, I was definitely arguing with reality. And it took me a minute to (laughs) to realize it. But once I did, I had to get into flow. And so this last one that I want to talk about here is probably one that will be very relatable. And it has to do with eating keto, right? So at one point along my journey, when I first started eating keto, I could eat all of the keto treats, the products, and the sugar alcohols. And it didn't really make me feel very bad. Like I, or at least I wasn't even aware of it, right? Because probably I was feeling so horrible eating all the shit that I was eating before switching to keto and keto products and things that had sugar alcohols in them. Like, let's just say the keto candies, you know, the keto bars, um, even keto homemade baking, whatever. Um, and so I was feeling so much better over time though, my body started to (laughs) up level my own standards without me necessarily even (laughs) giving my body permission, but your body remember is, is, um, infinite God, intimate God, innermost God, you know, speaking through your body, speaking through your environment, speaking through your emotions, right? Guiding you to get into flow. And so my body just started up-leveling. And what I mean by that is I started feeling like shit every time I would eat these keto products and sugar alcohols. And I stopped losing weight because my body was inflamed and I was arguing with reality. I was saying, this used to work. What the hell? Is my body fighting me now? Like I should be able to eat these things. I've already given up all of these other things. I'm screwed. You know, like (laughs) these arguing with reality and feeling miserable, feeling like it should be this other way, feeling so attached to it, grasping, striving, um, feeling like it's unfair, feeling like it's unjust, right? All of these things. And so this took me a while. It takes you a while sometimes of sitting in this misery and getting that constant biofeedback from the scale from your digestive system, from the headaches, from feeling lethargic, feeling, you know, just miserable in your brain. Like, and you're getting all of that data feedback, realizing I am not in flow because flow doesn't feel like shit. Right. And so, by the way, this is a journey of grief too, right? You got to let yourself feel all the feelings. Don't, don't spiritually bypass yourself. Don't invalidate yourself. Like actually give yourself time to feel the clean pain to feel the frustration of it's different than what I expected and that's okay. It's only actually when you allow yourself to feel all those things that you'll be able to move through it and stop arguing with reality. But what this ultimately led me to do is when I stopped consuming all this stuff and started feeling better and got back into flow, then I'm able to access my higher self a little bit more and access more curiosity and access more experimenting out of self-love, right? So when I, where I once was afraid and maybe grasping onto, I can only eat this many carbs per day. I can't eat <laughs> the old, this, this was my old line of thinking. I can't have this on keto or that's not keto, right? These were old beliefs. 
And again, they're um, coming from your very protective part of you, trying to keep you safe, trying to help you to feel in control, to not lose what you feel like you've already gained, um, which is more food freedom, um, losing the weight that you've lost. You don't want to regain it, right? Um, But this is coming from a, a scarcity mentality of like protecting your assets, protecting what you have because for fear of that you could lose it so easily, right? I could lose my progress so easily, right? And so, but when you get back into flow, you're actually able to connect with all the attributes of your highest self, which is feeling calm, connected, curious, compassionate, right? And so I was able to actually realize, hmm, okay, but if I'm not having all these sugar alcohols, I wonder now that my body has gone through such a healing journey. I had already lost 50 pounds. I had been keto for years, right? My blood sugar is stable. All my blood work is great. I wonder if my body actually could tolerate me eating more fruits, me experimenting with some more natural sweeteners, like yacon syrup, Y-A-C-O-N. You can give that a try. Um, It kind of tastes like a mixture of honey and maple syrup and it's low glycemic. So trying to experiment with that. Um, Actually experimenting with small doses of maple syrup or honey in recipes. Like instead of making a honey mustard sauce for some keto, you know, uh, breaded chicken, then uh, I would usually mix like liquid sucralose in with like some mayo and mustard. Hmm, I wonder what would happen if I actually used real honey and like marinated the chicken in that. And then because the protein is buffering the blood sugar response, what do you know? It worked out totally fine. <laughs> didn't kick me out of ketosis. Didn't kick me out of, uh, didn't make me gain weight. Um, didn't raise my blood sugar beyond 30, the 30 point range, which is very healthy. Um, and even being able to do this with coconut sugar too. So, which is more, uh, it's, it's lower glycemic than regular table sugar. So this may work for you. This may not work for you. I, I wouldn't have known if it would have worked for me or not, if not that flow was redirecting me to get away from some of these other sugar alcohols and things that I was more reliant upon, but were actually making me feel like garbage and inflaming my body and upholding, uh, sorry, slowing down my weight loss journey. And then I was able to get back into flow, f- actually feel freedom, feel real freedom because my real highest self-desire is to take great care of myself through what I'm eating and to trust my body to listen to my body and to stop arguing with reality. If every time you eat this food, it makes you gain weight, okay, maybe it's time to start, stop arguing with reality. If every time you eat this food, it raises your blood sugar. If every time you eat this food, it gives you such cravings that you feel like a slave to your brain compulsions, you feel like you can't moderate it, um, You know, this is not freedom. If every time you eat this food, it gives you so much gas and bloating that you don't want to talk to anyone for the rest of the night, you know, like, gosh, that's not freedom, right? And so it, again, it's the universe, you know, infinite God, innermost God, intimate God, like redirecting you for your own good out of love for you to actually get you in alignment with what your highest self wants, which is to fuel your body and to feel great and to still have pleasure doing it, right? And when you listen, you do get back into flow. And then you find new ways, new directions where flow is taking you. I hope this is making sense. I hope you've gotten something out of this today where whether it's with food or whether it's with anything else in your life, where you actually realize that you're arguing with reality, that you're blaming yourself, thinking if I could just change myself, then I could fix everything. And I hope that your takeaway is that there's nothing to improve about yourself. You already are love. You already are patience. You already are abundance. You already are all of the things that you want to be. You are. There's nothing wrong with you. 
there's nothing to improve upon. All that there is to do is to get into flow. And the ways that you can get back into flow is by, yes, looking at your environment for signals, looking at your emotions for signals and looking at your body for signals of where you actually feel out of alignment and then showing some curiosity and some willingness to experiment about what actually would lead you back into alignment with your highest, with your highest self desires, being committed to feeling how you want to feel instead of being attached to the method by which you get there. So before I let you go, I want to tell you about this month's self-care keto mindset class. I offer a different mindset class topic every single month and I offer a pay what supports you pricing model because I want you to have a transformation, a mindset shift every single month. And I don't want finances to be an obstacle for you. So this is something that I offer um, basically just as a self-coaching tool. Um, So it's a lot of the mindset tools that I provide for my one-on-one clients. And I've uh, packaged them into these uh, work at your own pace kind of self-coaching module that you take online and it's lifetime access when you purchase it. So you don't have to take it within a certain amount of time. It's not going to expire. It's not going to go anywhere. It's yours for life. And so the topic this month is hire yourself as the CEO of your life. And it does really go along very well with this idea that there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing to improve. You're going to take some really fun quizzes and learn about your natural strengths and your natural values and to anchor your weight loss journey into these things that there's nothing that you actually need to change about yourself. Um, You can surrender to what's here already within you and you can co-create together with it. So to get your hands on that, you can click the link in the show notes or you can press pause right now um, to click that link or you can head on over in your browser to bit.ly slash self-care keto class. And again, you can pay any amount that serves you. Guys, I really, really appreciate you listening. It means so much to me, seriously. I I interact with so many different people who tell me like, yeah, I just typed the word keto into the podcast player and I found you. And I'm like, thank you, algorithm. (laughs) That's so awesome. Um, And then so many of you are telling me that you're going back to the beginning, that you're listening to all the episodes, you're binge listening to my podcast. Like, I am just blown away. Um, And I'm just so grateful that you're listening. So grateful um, for you being here, listening to me and like talking for like an hour, you know, like we're spending some serious time together and I really appreciate you learning what I'm all about. And I would love to go even deeper with you. So if you love listening to the podcast, you would love working together with me and I would love working together with you. And if you want to learn more about what that's about, you can head over to my website, theketofit.com. And you can uh, sign up for a completely free curiosity call. And when you put in that form, I will probably get back to you within a matter of hours, definitely within 24 hours. And we will schedule a live Zoom session where we can get to know each other a little bit better and talk about how we can partner together to co-create the results that you want in your life, getting you into the flow, helping you to actually enjoy your weight loss journey. So thanks for listening in again today. I'll be back with you all next week. Hope you have a fantastic week.